the other day, I called my dog Honey. It was weird because I've never called him Honey before. And it was double weird because Honey isn't the most common term of endearment in our family. Many families have a term of endearment they use. Do you have a preferred term in your family of origin or in your household right now? What? No one? No one calls each other by terms of endearment? Hey, you. Okay. What? Sweetheart. Mm. Who do you call sweetheart, Bill? Only your wife. Okay. It, yeah, what does she call you? Hey. Hey, you seems to be popular. Someone said something in the back or somewhere? Yeah? Flaco. Term of endearment. Igorda. Flaco y gorda. Terms of endearment in Spanish, skinny person and fat person. They're all, all terms said very lovingly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, some people say babe. Um, Robert and I can't call each other darling without bursting into laughter. But we do call each other and our daughters sweetie. And one of my favorite terms of endearment is Habibi. But in my mind, who is saying that, Habibi? Renee, Renee Bouchabelle. And she calls everybody Habibi, which means uh, my love or beloved in Arabic. Term of endearment is a way we tell others that we love them. And there are many, many other ways, and sometimes without words at all. Our topic today is love. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We just talked about love not more than a month ago, and it was my turn to preach, and I said everything that there was to say about love last month when we looked at our Advent themes of faith, uh, of hope, love, joy, and peace. That was my first reaction when I realized that we are starting a new sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit and realizing that love would fall to me. In fact, the first three fruit of the Spirit will be a repeat of three of our four Advent themes. The only one missing from the list of the nine fruit mentioned in Galatians is hope. And I wondered a bit why hope is not, is not, didn't make the cut. But of course, I didn't say all there is to say about love. And here, a few weeks later, we are pondering love all over again. Maybe the Lord knows that we need to think and do love. The fruit of the Spirit is powerful. I want to read our guiding verse in this series so as to not lose sight of the superabundance of the fruit of the Spirit, even though we're separating each one to examine more closely week by week. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is our verse, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a cornucopia of abundance. And notice that fruit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit in your life doesn't show up as peace with an absence of patience or in my life as faithfulness with no joy, 
or in Pastor George's life as love with no self-control. We don't get gifted one of them and not the others. It's one fruit. So we are separating them for the sake of examining each portion of the gift more closely with a firm understanding that the fruit of the Spirit comes to us as one whole package. So, love. In one way, we intuitively know a whole lot about love. We know about an interpersonal connection that we call love. We know the feeling that we call love. Moms and dads meeting their baby for the first time often experience tiredness, a whole lot of tiredness, but also love. And kids, all kids start out loving their parents. Love is simple. When asked what love is, Inigo, age five, said, I know my mom and dad love me because they give me food and let me play games and give me a hug when I'm sad, so I love them too. Simple. But it doesn't take long before love gets messy. Sexual love, eros, the Greeks called it, is very complicated. I've thought about it like a minefield that we get pushed into by our hormones way too early in life. Family love, storge, the Greeks call it, is love felt through the bonds of blood ties. But there is a lot of dysfunction in many families. Brotherly love, philios, the Greeks call it, is friendship love, platonic love. Ludus, this is a Latin term, not a Greek term. This is playful, non-committal love. It covers things like flirting, seduction, casual sex. Pragma is practical love, transactional love, based on duty or obligation or, lo or logic. Arranged marriages are arranged on pragma. Um, and sometimes people stand together, stay together for financial reasons. It, that falls under this category. Mania is used for excessive love that reaches the point of obsession or madness. Now, this is never good. Philautia is self-love. It refers to the way a person views themselves and how they feel about their own body and mind. So we can see if we put these forms of love into the grid of our experiences, how most of them, except for mania, can be good and satisfying and healthy. But we have also seen all these forms of love take a turn for the worse. Kids know intuitively about the pitfalls of love also. Owen, age five, said, oh, I know what love is. Love is when someone loves someone else and then they whack each other. There is one love above all the other loves, and that's agape, of course. Unconditional, sacrificial love. This is the kind of love that is expressed by a person willing to do anything for another, including sacrificing themselves without expecting anything in return. Kids know all about this kind of love, too. Poppy, age eight, says, love is dad not farting. A sacrificial, sacrificial love. And Rebecca, also age eight, describes love this way. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend down and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love. 
Love is very complicated. It can start out good, with good motivations, with best intentions in its purest form, but then it can go off the rails. Unexpected events occur, feelings change, and we wake up scratching our heads, wondering how we ended up in this dead end. And if we think of some of the bad outcomes in our own life, it's probably not a turn we intended to take when we first started out. Of course, the word for love used in the fruit of the spirit is agape. And of course, our best example of agape is our Lord Jesus Christ. So we will look at some of his words on agape love from John 13. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So guess which Greek word is used in those two verses? Agape four times, every single time. We've been saying in this sermon series that the fruit of the Spirit is not something we work to achieve but rather that the fruit grows in us through the direction of the Holy Spirit and we cooperate with what God is doing. We cultivate rather than force through our own endeavors. But here in John chapter 13, Jesus commands us to love one another. How to reconcile those two seemingly different ways of talking about love. Is love a work that we force ourselves to do? The command seems to indicate it when it's put in a command form. Or is it something that is grown in us organically by the Holy Spirit? And I say yes and yes, both and. We strive to love, especially when it's hard. We put our focus, our energy into loving one another. That takes effort, work, if you will. We can't let ourselves off the hook by saying, oh, I can't love you. I've already tried that, but you're really hard to love. You've got a lot of prickles. I've stung myself on some of them. Now, that may be a true statement of what is going on. All of that may be true, facts. But when we follow up with, so I can't love you, I'm just not going to love you, that attitude bumps head first into the commandment of Jesus Love one another just as I have loved you. There's no option to not love one another. If anyone knew how hard it was to love, that would be Jesus. If anyone knew the cost of giving love away with no certainty that love would be returned, that would be Jesus. If anyone knew the pitfalls of unconditional love, that it puts you at the mercy of the other person, that it makes you vulnerable to rejection and hurt, that would be Jesus. And if anyone knew the sacrificial nature of agape love, the sacrifice of everything, even including physical life itself, that would be Jesus. So when Jesus commands us to love one another, it's not just words. It's not theater, theoretical. Jesus lived and breathed agape love. He died 
because of love. So let's dwell on his commandment for a few moments. It came at the very end of his life, mere hours before he was betrayed by Judas and abandoned by his friends who professed to love him the day before he was killed. If Jesus only said, love one another, that phrase alone, we could wrestle with the impossibility of that commandment, the insurmountability of that commandment. But he didn't say just that. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus' love makes impossible love possible. Jesus' love makes impossible love possible. And if you take nothing else away today, take that truth. Post it, tweet it, write it down somewhere where you'll see it. Jesus' love breaks that log jam, unties the Gordian knot, starting not with the other person, but starting with our own heart. The newness of this command is Jesus. Because the command to love one another is very old. It comes from the Old Testament. It's thousands and thousands of years old at the time Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. But being loved by Jesus as I have loved you, that part, being loved by God in flesh, a God who experienced human life alongside his human creation, a God who gave his everything for those who love, that's a new and deeper understanding of what agape looks like. We are loved. We are well loved by Jesus. Being loved by Jesus fills our reservoirs. The commandment to love others is not impossible when we have unlimited reservoirs of love to pull from ourselves. Now, who here loves the rains we have been having lately? Mm -hmm. And who started to wonder, what state am I even living in? when the rain didn't stop after an hour, the rain didn't stop after a day. And who here uh, missed the sun? And yet, with all those thoughts in mind, who here followed up that line of thinking with, but we need the rain? That's a well-worn thought pattern here in California. We have had such a severe drought for so long that we feel like we need every raindrop that we get. And we need the rain to soak deep into the underground aquifers to replenish the reservoirs. We need to store up that rain for the future. Think about agape like a reservoir of deep well water. If there's someone who is hard to love in our life, we don't have to love them alone. We can love them alongside Jesus. So fill yourself up intentionally, consistently going back over and over again to that well. Thank Jesus for his sacrificial love. Ask him for the love you need to give this other person. Don't listen to your own voice in your head, the one that comes up with excuses, the one that justifies your attitude and your actions. Listen instead to Jesus' voice. Love one another just as I have loved you. I have Renee's voice in my head saying, Habibi. I want to have Jesus' voice in my head saying, love one another as I have loved you. 
Since the fruit of the Spirit, uh, since love, love is a fruit of the Spirit, I wonder what fruit could represent love? What do you think? <laughs> Not a banana. It's got appeal. In our little sermon slide, it was an apple. But uh, I asked Rob Ottaviano, did you, were you the one who said a grape, Rob? Yes. Yes, because I asked him, what about the fruit of the spirit? And he gave me a website where um, they each, for each fruit, they have uh, actual fruit, and then they kind of explain why. Uh, Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower, and you are the branches. As my father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. When we abide in Jesus' love, we produce fruit. So that's why a grape for me represents love. I'm going to put these grapes out for our little food after the service. And if you take a grape, just thank Jesus for his love. And think about your own abiding, connecting to, holding on to Jesus so that you can produce the fruit of love in your, in your life. A pastor read 1 Corinthians 13 out loud every Sunday at his church. This went on and on for weeks and weeks. And finally some people started to complain. Pastor, we're getting a little tired of hearing the same Bible passage every week. Do you think we can move on to something else? And the pastor replied, when we've got this passage down, when we live it out, when we understand it, when it takes root in our lives, when we live it, then it will be time to move on. But until we learn it, love remains the most important lesson in our church. And I felt this congregational complaint in my spirit when I discovered I had to preach on love again. But the response of that pastor hits me square in the chest. So I wanted to leave us with the challenge and the example of love as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I read, I hope that we're able to absorb more of God's amazing love for us and to then live it out more fully. Know that Jesus loves you fully and completely. Ask and receive his healing, abundant, merciful love today. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful, or arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the, com when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Jesus' love makes impossible love possible. Let's bow our heads. Our God, you know the, the dysfunctions of our life, of our relationships, the ways in which there is friction and the ways in which there's uh, history piled up, the ways in which we come to feel that it is impossible to love. And we're not even talking about ways in which uh, violence or discrimination or hurt or woundedness has caused us to think that love is impossible in this situation. But you know all about that, Jesus. You yourself were on the receiving end of abuse and violence and rejection and so I pray, God, for all those impossible situations that you would pour your love into our hearts and start to unlock what we have in our own defense put up and that you would allow us to be able to love better, love well, love fully, love like you love us. Just open our hearts, Lord Jesus, for that transformation to come, which can only come from you. In your name we pray. Amen.